Evening, everyone, or late afternoon. Nice to see all of you guys. Just going to start my timer here. Do I have gum? No, I don't have gum. That was just me chewing in my mouth. Yeah, but very lucky to see all of you guys. Look at Skulk. Do you guys even recognize Skulk over there? Check. He's on a school outing. It's a grade 12 pupil from another school sitting there doing AV. <laughs> no, you look good, Skulk. Um, yeah, we got a slide for tonight. So um, this is something we didn't actually do in all the other congregations. We were quite boring. So here you guys are on point with your sermon slides and stuff. So I'm calling this one Life in the New Covenant. And um, I want to ask you, what are the, just top of your head, what would you say are the three things that come to mind when I mention the New Covenant? Be honest with yourself. That's a safe answer. Jesus is not, Jesus is not even mentioned in the New Covenant. In the pro, in the, it's a prophecy, and it comes from Jeremiah 31. And it literally forms almost the, back, the backbone of your Christian faith now and how you relate to God. Anything else? They? The veil being torn? Almost. Freedom from the law? Yeah. What else? Mm. Well, also ask yourself, when you read the Old Testament, what do you think was sorely lacking? Did they lack information? They had a form of relationship, but what was the problem with the relationship? Did all of them have equal access, in a sense, to God? No, they would have someone like Moses who would go up the mountain, come down, and he would say, the Lord says the following. And the people would hear it, and they'd say, okay, we'll be obedient to go do it. So, what they were lacking was a personal knowing of God. And also, if I just went, let's say I went to one of the schools here close by, and I said, guys, we're going to do evangelism. And I sent you all out, and I said, here's your little preach you're going to do in each school. You're just going to read to them the Ten Commandments. What would it achieve? Would it create Christians by the time you leave? Hey, What would it do? Let's say you preach and you say, thou shalt not covet. And you watch to see what happens. Thou shalt not blaspheme or lie. Would what you're saying create the result in the person you're speaking to? If you told them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, would they walk away saying, okay, all I was lacking was someone telling me to love the Lord, and now I'm going to do it. Sadly not. So the thing you'll see in, in tonight's preach is so important. I, I, I'll boil it down to, I'd say there are about three things we're going to look at that the new covenant is founded on, but I'll, I'll chuck in a freebie. I'll chuck in a fourth or so, which is in there. Um, but it's, it's so foundational to understanding your Christian faith. And, and how, how many of you guys are going away for the holidays? How many students do we have here? Quite a few still. I know most, most of our students at the 6 p.m. service. But even for you guys, I was thinking, there can sometimes be, I think, wrongly in us, a fear of holidays. Well, holidays are great, but how many of you feel like a bit of a, 
I'm not looking forward to it. Almost for like your faith. Anyone there? Because you're like, you're being taken out of this environment. You're you're not, the amount of socializing and fellowshipping you guys do is amazing. You're being taken out of that. You may be going back to the phrase thought. Hey, to the States. And you're going to sit there on the plus. You're going to be brying with mom and dad, talking about maybe the spring box. Losing, sadly. And it's going to be enjoyable and stuff, but something might come into your head like, oh, no. In a sense, like, what's going to happen to me now? I've been taken out of my little greenhouse I was in, like a plant. And now you might feel like I'm just going to wither and die in this, like, whatever, two, two and a half month holiday. Eh? So I want to allay some of your fears tonight by pointing you to truth. Is that cool? I'm not just going to give you a how-to list or a, a practical. It will be practical, but I want to point us to what is true of this relationship we have with God. That actually, he says, from the least to the greatest, they will all know me. No longer will they need someone to stand up here and say, know the Lord. He says, for they will all know me. So let's, let's read that scripture. We can put it up. There's two places you can actually read it. Jeremiah 31, verse, I think it's verse 31, is the, the original. But it's actually quoted, I don't know how many, how many of you guys know, where is it quoted in the New Testament? Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 8 is where I'm going to be reading it from. This is the Hebrews one, yeah. So I'm going to start from verse 7. If you're reading in your Bible... You can even use one of those Bibles that's in front of you there if you don't have one. So Hebrews chapter 8. And this is going to be like our base camp. Okay. And we'll just pick our points out of this. So let's start at Hebrews chapter 8 and we'll read from verse 7. It is hard to choose where to read from in this because there's just so much meat and so much good stuff. But let's read from verse 7. And I'm reading from the ESV. And he says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need to look for a second. There would be no occasion to look for another one. For he's speaking of God now. For he finds fault with them. Or some translations say he finds fault with it, the old covenant, when he says this. And now he's quoting Jeremiah 31. And he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities or their unrighteousness, and I will remember their sins no more. So that right there is kind of Jeremiah taking all the kind of the, the prophecies and the figures and hints at this 
and he's putting it in plain words in his day. And he's saying there's a new day coming. And, and what you're going to see when we go through these points now is they're not just archaic in a sense for the Old Testament. You're going to understand for you right now, how are you to relate to God each day? Because do you know what's funny? It's not funny. It's actually a bit scary for all of you and me. Is I can promise you there are many of you sitting here right now that when you wake up each day, you're trying to use an old covenant mindset to live the new covenant Christian life. You're in the new covenant, but so many of you in your thinking, without even realizing it, are relating to God in the same way they did under the old covenant. Anyone ever realized that? I'll do a show of hands at the end also. You see, because the Holy Spirit will come and reveal this to you and say, I've called you to freedom, so walk in freedom. And you just, it's, it's just as simple as, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing that off. So the, these are the four points. It's the first one I want us to look at is God's law being written on our hearts. And, and this doesn't simply mean that you're going to be able to memorize the Bible in the New Covenant. Hey? And it's not like he's saying, I'm going to take the 613 laws and write them all somehow like on your heart and your mind. And he's going to go deeper than that. He's saying, I'm going to write even the intentions that were always behind the law on your heart. Not just going to give you information that you can recall at any moment. The actual desire to follow those commands I'm going to put in your heart. How's that? Because what was lacking in the Israelites is they would often, they, they would have what you would call covenant renewal um, ceremonies or something, where they would depart from the Lord, a prophet would come, you'll see it, you'll read it the whole time, a prophet would come, tune them, say return to the Lord. And they would return to the Lord, they would read the whole law again, and say, guys, we've got to get this straight. Read the thing, someone read it to us, and they're like, okay, we're going to make a recommitment based on our last recommitment. It's almost like when people come to the front every week, and Lord, I'm recommitting again. Sometimes by doing that, you're thinking in an old covenant way. Because they were aware that their commitment to God in this covenant was, if we do these things, we will live. And what do you see time and time again? They hear the law written, read to them. They go away, and what happens? Do they do it? And then they return back. And sometimes they don't even return back very quickly. They just stubbornly harden their hearts. And God disciplines them. But they had all the information there. But what was lacking and what you see now in the new covenant is God says, you're not just going to have church buildings now and have elders and deacons and community groups and you're going to have a new Moses standing in the front. Because some of you might listen to sermons that way. You might come here on a Sunday and you're just going, James, just tell me again the New Testament law. Give it to me. Just remind me of it. And I'll go out and try my best. And then you feel like you fail. You feel heavy. You come back and you're like, let's try this thing again. If you are thinking that way, I humbly submit to you, your mindset is getting muddied between an old covenant and a new covenant. How does that sound? 
so like I said, it's not simply memorizing it, it's not simply information. And, and, and Paul says it well in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. You don't actually have to put that one up. It's just the end of that scripture there. He says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You know what he means there? Just like the example I gave now, if we went to a school and we just gave them the letter, it would kill. Not that his law is bad. Reading it to those, if you, I mean, are schools sinful these days? Is university campus sim- sinful? Yeah. Are the laws we're going to read to them good and holy? Yeah. Where's the problem? Them. So if I come and say, don't covet, don't all these things, instead what it does in people is it almost exacerbates it. It makes it worse. Because they go out and try to do it and they realize, I can't. So the, the amazing thing about what God does in us is he now gives us the power, the ability, and he produces life in us. So he doesn't just give an outward command to us anymore. He actually produces the life in us to obey it. And even, even if I just give you an example, if you're making notes, one you can write for yourself is Exodus 24 verse 7. And this is right after the old covenant, the, the, the Sinai covenant gets read out. And the people say, all that Jehovah has done, spoken, we will do and be obedient. That, that was the thing the whole time. They said, oh, you actually have it. This, this is when it's requoted in Jeremiah, and it says, Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And as we've seen, that did not happen. So God, that, that's why you must understand, when you become a Christian, God does not just come and do something outside of you like pay for your sins? Because would that give you the power and the ability to live for him? No. I need to see a shaking head there. Would it give you the power and the ability? What do you need? You need inward change. You need a new heart. You need a new nature inside of you that actually says, God comes and tells me something, and now I actually agree with it. I even rejoice in it. Whereas beforehand, when the command came to me, it seemed impossible, and it seemed restrictive, and it seemed like this thing's actually going to oppress me. When you become a Christian, one of the signs you'll see in you is not a perfect knowledge of God. It's not a perfect obedience. But you'll start seeing an agreement in you of actually, yes, Lord, I don't want to commit that sin anymore. You're convicting me right now. And this feels weird. I always used to smoke. I always used to drink or swear or whatever it is. And now the minute it comes to me again and says, hey, you're my friend. Come hang out with me. You're going, no, I actually don't want to anymore. That is a sign that you might have received a new heart and a new spirit in you. Is you'll see those new desires in you. So it's a heart set free from bondage. It's a new spiritual appetite. And I think that, that's a great word. Is it's not, not, not anymore do you just say, I don't dare to sin. Because that's what the, that's what the, 
the Israelites thought. They would see maybe someone swallowed up. This, you have that story of the sons of Korah. You have different people in the Old Testament sinning. And out of fear then, the people would just obey God. And it wouldn't last. But in the new covenant now, you're saying, I don't want to sin. God actually gives you a want. And that's a great gift. How many times in your Christian walk have you maybe, it could be times where you're trying to just have quiet time with God. And it used to feel like it was going so well. And you might be going through a phase now where you're like, I'm struggling to find the want to. Then you need to remind yourself, hold on. The very basis of me being in this relation with God was that he provided the one to. So you don't have to find it in yourself somewhere and work it up. If that thing's waning, go back to him and say, I humbly demand, Lord, that you restore my one to. Because it came from you in the first place. It didn't come from me, so I'm not just going to strive to work it up. I'm going to come back and say, what you started with, you must continue providing, Lord, I need it. Sometimes you can make like holy demands of the Lord like that. Say, Lord, my joy is gone. I need it back. You give it back, please, this moment, if you can. <laughs> I humbly ask. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> no, but if you understand the new covenant, you can boldly come before him, and it's not any more presumptuous. It's not any more, I'm not sure what he thinks. If you have a child, and your child comes to you, or not many of us in the room, Godfrey, you got a child now, and there's a few other parents in the room, but if you had a child and they came and asked you to help them with their homework, let's say they're in like grade two, and they're doing these little sums, and they're drawing their numbers like this big, and they're just struggling, and your child comes to you and says, mommy or daddy, please help me. Would you be pleased to help them? Of course, because you've got something that they need. They don't know it. They don't have it yet. And if we as, yo, shame, help them if they come to you, even if it's your, your cousins or something. But it's a beautiful thing when you have something and someone needs it and you say, Edward, I get as much pleasure giving this to you as you get receiving it. And that's how the Lord feels. When you ask him for joy, when you ask him for peace and stuff, he's not reluctantly saying, oh, I have to give it to you. You're in, my You're in a new covenant. He's saying, oh, come ask again. Come ask again. You're like, Lord, I've, I've messed up. I feel dirty. I, 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 okay, I'm going to come to you. He's like, here, receive grace in your time of need. Where sin increases, I want it to overflow to you, my son, my daughter. Amen. And that's a mindset change in us. That he's not just a reluctant father. He's not just um, stingily holding these things out to us. He goes even further and creates a cry in us that says, like, Abba, Father. That as a Christian, there is, there is something you can seek out and say, Lord, I want to feel and hear that deep cry inside of my heart that says, Abba, Father. I belong to you, no one else. And he, I can promise you, that's not presumptuous. Go to him every day with that prayer, and he will gladly answer it for you. And the second point I wanted to touch on you. So the first one was writing the law on our hearts. Second one here is the freebie. I kind of chucked in it. It is in there. But it's God saying, I will be their God, and they will be my people. As I was writing this, I just felt this needs its own point. Because it's so big. Like, 
if you were to overhear me saying, hey, after church, I'm just going to go hang out with my Andrea. What would the word my tell you about this person called Andrea? That there's intimacy. What if I said I'm hanging out with my Leonard after church? <laughs> You'd be like, huh? <laughs> with my boy. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, cool. But the word my implies it's intimacy. I'm not just going to go up to one and be like, hey, my Kristen. That would be, that'd be pushing it. Someone does that to you, call them out. But there is a space, there is a covenant relationship where I'm like, that's my girl. That's my Andrea. And what that implies is knowing, deep knowing, deep intimacy. And that's what you see here in this passage. God saying, I'm not just going to be God, a God, and have this like contractual almost relationship, boss to employee. He's saying, I'm going to be their God, personal, possessive. You can pray in the morning and say, my God, I'm here before you. My God, I'm yours. My Jesus. How sweet does that sound? When you become a Christian, you receive Jesus, all of him. And you can say, my Jesus. We've actually got that as a song. Shout to the Lord. We had that on our set list for night. That could be a sign. But I love that language. I love that. That's when you're taking steps in your Christian faith. Maybe you're in an early phase even of your relationship with God. And you've been praying like, oh, holy God, Father. I come to thee. That's cool, but you can progress to out of the religious zone into my father, my God. I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'm your son, your daughter. Then you're taking ground. You're moving from just a, a distant kind of, there's God, here I am. I'm not sure what he thinks of me. Now you're going, I know what he thinks of me. I'm rightfully a son and a daughter, so I'm going to approach him that way. Amen. So firstly, he's our God. It's his presence with us, saying it's with you. My protection, my provision is with you. And I think some of the best words you can read in the Bible is the words, he is for us. Just that word. If I told you I'm for you, I mean, it would mean a lot to you. It would be deep. If God says he's for you, what does that mean? Have you thought about that? Do you wake up in the morning and say, yes, I'm worried about this week, but God is for me. Then just press pause and go, hold on, what? God is for me. What does that even mean? How far does that reach? And then like, take your little worries and your anxiety and stuff and put it next to God is for me. And they'll get burnt up like this. Be like, he's for me. In every circumstance, even in your trials and your sufferings, you don't go, oh, now you're not for me anymore. You say, no, no, I'm standing on this ground that says, in all things, because of this covenant, he is working all things together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose, who love him. And then on, 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 on our side, when he says, they'll be my people, that almost represents, that represents like 
us being his ambassadors, us being, we're representatives of his, and we are. He says, when you go out into the world, if people don't receive you, they're not receiving me. It's quite a statement. Or he said to Saul, when Saul was on, his, on the road to Damascus, why, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He so joins himself with you and me and his people that he's saying, if you touch my people, you're touching me because we're one. He's not just God up there. He's God in us now. And we're his people. Thanks, wife, for saying it's good. It is good. Have you been biased? Okay, there you go. It's a different source. You're in worship, so you're also probably a bit compromised. You're trying to add a vibe. Okay, yeah, that's enough. So third point is the one. So the second one was, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Third one, he says, they will all know me. And I love this one. Even in, in the Bible, the word know means a whole lot more than you and I think it means. Anyone ever read? <laughs> maybe I shouldn't get into that. Well, maybe I could. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and had a baby. Hello? That's not just information. That's date night. That is, they knew each other. It's intimate. I'll end it there. I'll move on from that point. <laughs> But there, just do a study. There are so many places. There's another place in Hosea. God says to Israel, he says, you only out of all the peoples in the earth have I known. He knows about everyone, but he's saying, you only Israel have I had relationship with. You only have I known. You are my people. I'm your God. So there's, there's a real powerful thing to it. But what, what I want to bring out here is that your security and your faith, your intimacy with God, I have to stress this. I think it is, it is aided by church. It's helped by it, by community. But you cannot take your anchor in your Christian faith and tether it to this gathering. You can't. God will send another COVID-19 or COVID-20 away. And then you're sitting at home. For five, whatever, straight weeks, lockdown. You can't even leave the yard. And if you've taken your faith and anchored it to what I'm just receiving from the person on a Sunday, from my comm group, from whatever else, that's a false foundation. And we're not saying it's either or. Just be alone a Christian and it's just me and God. I'm saying it's both. But I, I can promise you, for us to be effective Christians, to be steadfast and anchored, we've got to say, I've only been betrothed to one husband, to one spouse, and that's Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Everything else I will build on top of that foundation. I can promise you, we're, we're, we're a bit older than you guys. We're in our, I'm 32, Andre's early 30s. Um, no, I want to cover over you. But, <laughs> but for us, We've seen, we've seen a lot of friends, and I don't know if you can relate, that we've been chatting to where their church involvement 
and their, their status in their church, their position, how people loved and received them, they so muddied with the gospel and with what's true of Jesus that when church hurts them or they got disillusioned with church, maybe they didn't get promoted, they didn't get the opportunities, whatever it is, they've jumped to the conclusion then, and, and, and it's a deception that, that there's something wrong almost in the gospel. There's something wrong with Jesus, with me and Jesus. And, and I want to warn you about that. I really do. And I want to say, take the time you need. Inspect your own faith and say, how much are, have you taken like, you know when a baby has an umbilical cord and they, they have to cut it because it's how it fed from the mom. In a sense, there is only one place your umbilical cord needs to be attached and that's Christ. You will receive from the people around you, but you cannot you cannot take that thing which is holy and sacred and join it to people. Even your own husband or wife one day, you cannot do it. To your church, your leaders. Can I get an amen? You cannot. Because it will lead you into a, an area of almost your faith feeling shipwrecked. You won't even know what you're standing on anymore. So that, that's not even in my notes, but that's something I have felt strongly about. And I feel the Lord's cautioning us as a church. Especially a church that has so much to draw from. There's so much here to draw from. That you could have people amongst us that don't even know the Lord, but are drawing so much that they, they're not even forced with the decision to accept Christ, really or not. They can leave him out of the equation, but they're getting so much. And we, we must be aware of that. So even this, this knowing of the Lord, it says in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know me. That's an amazing line. That they may know me, both the Father and the Son, that they may have fellowship with me. And what I, what I want to touch on here is, here we can actually put a scripture up. It's Hosea 6, verse 4 to 6. Check out this one. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I've hewn them. I don't know, what's another word for hewn? Does your translation say anything different there? Okay, no, no one's with me. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament. Is he saying, if I have a people that just think eternal life is to serve me or sacrifice for me or do things for me, that's missing the point. Amen. Eternal life, if, if any of your doing, if any of your sacrificing and your, your activity, whatever it is, if it is taking the place and the priority of knowing him, it's out of place. It's out of order. If you've been a leader this year and all your mind has been filled on is, I've got to lead, I've got to lead my com, I've got to serve, I've got to do that, and that has taken the place of knowing him, then scrap that thing. 
If it is taking the place of knowing him, what you were called for, then it does not deserve to be there. It doesn't. We've got to make that our first aim, that I might know him. I'm betrothed to him. That's my relationship. And he says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Because what they were doing is they thought by just offering these sacrifices, by just burning more animals, by killing them, by more blood being shed, they thought somehow this would make up for their actual adultery against God. And he's saying, no, you can do it as much as you want. But what I actually desire is a heart response of love for me, that we may love him and know him. And I want to encourage you to pursue that. Make that your aim. Lord, help me to know you above all else. Not just to know how to do things for you, because those prayers can still be about you. If you're just praying, Lord, help me to do the following. Help me to say, Lord, I want to know you. What is true of you? Amen. And I didn't even touch on the Holy Spirit, but I mean, the Holy Spirit's my helper, my counselor, my comforter, my friend, my guide, all those things. And the third one here, I wanted to make sure I, I, I still give enough time to this one, is third, no, it's actually the fourth facet here, is he says, I will remember, you can put that up quick, it's the Hebrews 8 verse um, 12, I think it's in there. I will remember their sins. I'll be merciful. Are you had it? Towards their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. Help me out here. If you were a Jew living under the old covenant and you heard this prophesied for the first time, what would you be thinking? Huh? You think that's impossible. He's saying, what does he mean by remember? Does it mean he's going to forget? No. He says, I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I'm not going to reckon it, almost like an accounting term, to your account anymore, your sins. I'm going to once for all deal with this problem. Because for many of you, you're living way more sin conscious daily than actually just God conscious, to be honest. You are. You think the Christian life is to not sin and to maybe try to have a quiet time. And get, make it to come. The Christian life is to know him. And once I make it my aim to know him, to be like him, when sin comes to tempt me, I just go, this doesn't fit in with this. Sin and temptation doesn't help me in this journey of knowing him. So, uh, out of here. That's a big difference. There, it's not just freedom from sin. It's saying, no, no, God has set me free for something he has set you and me free to be something someone to him to be a loved son and a daughter that walks in paths of righteousness so then when sin comes you're saying this doesn't fit in that's a mindset change isn't it it's not simply what is in and what what is out lord what should i do what shouldn't i do that's an immature way of understanding the christian faith it's got to be more, what are you, what am I becoming? Do you ever think that? Do you ever wake up and say, Lord, what am I becoming? If I'm a new creation in Christ, 
and I'm already a child of God. What are you making me into be daily, right now? I would encourage you to pray that. But this thing of I'll remember their sins no more, it actually starts with the word for. There he says, for I will remember their sins no more. And if you read that passage, he's saying every promise that I've just told you guys about, writing the law in your hearts, knowing him, being his people, him being our God, he says all of those are based on this one thing, that the obstacle between us is going to be removed. The record of debt against you and me is going to be canceled. Amen. That is why, because if you don't know that, guys, you're not going to want to get before him and say, I just want to know you. You're not going to want to say, my God, because you're going to feel the crushing weight of your sin. And you're going to feel far from him. You're going to feel separate from him. So you need to know that he doesn't hold it against you anymore. And let me, let me just give you one, one example. In my marriage now, if I have, hypothetically, if I have an argument, we never do. But if I had an argument with my wife about something you don't need to argue about, like dishes or something. And uh, I got in trouble. And I was supposed to do it. This is actually a true story. I need to do this when I get home. But I actually haven't done it. I'm sorry. It's a real story. Yeah. And, 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 and now let's say there's a break of fellowship between us. Like we've had a fight about something. I've lost my temper. You can feel it in a relationship, can you? When you, when you fight with someone. You can be in their presence and you're like, you're just avoiding them at all costs. So what has happened between us is we haven't lost our marriage. We've lost fellowship. And you might go to bed at night. <laughs> you pick up your book. You don't even look at the other person. And you just want to go to sleep. And you feel like there's a wall of like, hostility between you. But when I come to her and I say, I call her Gubbies. But I say, Gubbies, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm going back to her, not so that I'm going to become her husband again. I'm returning to her because I am her husband. That's what fuels it. It's not insecurity of, oh, I feel I'm going to get rejected, so I'm going to come back and say I'm sorry. I wouldn't be saying sorry for her then. It would be self-preservation on my side. But if I realize I have made a vow to that person, I am in a covenant with her, we're in this forever, then it drives me back to her. And I say, I'm sorry, like, I was just pride, I felt attacked, whatever. Please forgive me. Then instantaneously, often, you can feel the divide. you felt it? Any other married couples? You can feel it's gone. And you just want to hug and you're like, I'm so sorry. I love you. You're my friend. So for you, when and if you sin, do not think in your mind, I have to go back to him so that I'm going to be his child again. So that I'm going to be a son or his daughter. Keep in mind, I am his son. I am his beloved. Therefore, I'm running back to him. I am running back to him. And I'm saying, my God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. If you let that sink into your head, the gap between you sinning 
And you running back to the Father is going to diminish hugely. Because that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to feel far from him. Run away, go offer some burnt offerings and sacrifices, and then feel like you've worked your way back up again and then approach him. That's what he wants. But the veil, like you were saying earlier, the veil has been torn. The way is open. And there's a word, just, just in closing here, because I'm aware of my time, is uh, there's a word you'll see often, especially in the book of Hebrews and in other ones, is the phrase, let us draw near. And that is like the most fitting conclusion I can think of. In light of all these promises that you have, better promises, a better hope, do you know what the Lord's saying to you? Draw near. Not just go out and try serve, sacrifice, do. Get to the end of you and your effort and your striving and saying, I'm drawing near to you. You must provide everything I need from start to finish. So can the band come up quick? I wasn't 100% sure, in a sense, how God would want us to respond to this, but I think for some of us, as I said in the beginning, I think the Holy Spirit identified to some of us that there has been old thinking, it's almost like when Jesus said there's old wine that's in a new wineskin. And this wineskin should be filled with what's new and fresh. And I think for some of you, you probably have realized, Yo, I think I've been relating to God sometimes through an old, old covenant mindset. I've almost tried to offer sacrifices and service and worship or songs to try come back to his presence, to try keep him favorable towards me. And God wants to free you from that. As funny as it sounds, <coughs> that old covenant he gave, even though it was good, can be a ministry of death to you. That's what Paul calls it. it can be, he calls it a ministry of condemnation. That it's not, it's not your friend anymore. Jesus has ended all of that. He's perfectly been the qualified one. And, and it came through in two of the prophetic words earlier that I think there is a self-reliance and a self-effort that is one of your prime enemies in your Christian walk. And for some of you, you've been groomed your whole life to rely on self, self-effort, self-strength. And one of the best prayers you could pray tonight is, Lord, show me actually my weakness. Reveal to me my need of you. And just like a child who needs something from its parents, I'm going to run to you and say, I need it. I need it. And I'd, lo I'd love for us to even respond if we have time in a song. I think we do. Um, but just to respond and say, you know what? No more are they going to say, know the Lord. For every one of you here today, how's that? If you have said, Jesus, I give you my life, put my faith in you, you know him just as much as I do. It's not like I'm in the inner court of the temple and you're in the outer trying to work your way in. You're all in the Holy of Holies. 
Amen. That's got to provoke some joy in you. You're in the Holy of Holies, unveiled your face, looking at the Father. Why don't we close our eyes? I just want to pray for us, then we're going to maybe sing a song.